whatever you need he will provide that one more time oh don't worry don't fret dry the tears from your eyes there is no failure in God whatever you need he will provide there is no failure in God the tears from your eyes I want you to
that's the message you believe, say amen. There is no failure with God. And in fact, our speaker tonight is a demonstration of God's grace and God's mercy and God's power. The first thing that's wonderful about him is that he was born in New York City and survived. Praise the Lord. He's a native of Brooklyn, in fact. But he was well reared with Christian parents, his father being an Adventist minister himself and a man who was greatly loved by all of us who knew him. His passing several years ago was dramatic for all of us because he wasn't young enough to leave us, but he left us a clone in his son, Dr. Ron C. Smith, who has picked up the baton of ministry that his father left and is moving through the ranks of Seventh-day Adventism in the matter of responsibility and is today holding one of the most prestigious and responsible positions in the North American division. He is the secretary of the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Amen. Dr. Ron Smith, of course, attended Oakwood College, where he received his Bachelor of Arts in Theology and Biblical Languages. I remember him as a student then. And recall the days when this tall, thin, slender, young, soberer, but very amiable and sometimes humorous young man made his way as one of the more popular students on campus. Since then, he has gone on to earn his seminary degree, the Masters of Divinity at Andrews, and has obtained not one, but two doctoral degrees. So he is not just Dr. Smith, he is Dr. Dr. Smith. With his Doctor of Ministry from Colgate and his PhD, Dr. Philosophy, if you please, from Fuller Graduate School of Psychology in Pasadena. Ron Smith has served for 27 years in ministry in the Adventist Church and his pastorates have taken him to the Northeastern Conference in the New York City area where he pastored the very prestigious Ephesus Seventh-day Adventist Church. He also was senior pastor at the Berean Church in the Los Angeles area. So he has held very responsible positions coast to coast. He is a registered clinical psychologist and marital and family therapist. You probably hear some of that bleeding through his ministry with us this weekend. He usually weaves his academic background into his messages. He is also distinguished as being one of the few editors of the Message magazine, the oldest black missionary Christian lifestyle periodical in America. And he served in that capacity for eight years. Ron Smith is married to Yolanda. They have two children, Don and Ron, both of whom have graduated from Oakwood College as well. I don't know how Pastor Palmer managed to get him on our agenda 
as busy as he is throughout the United States and other parts of the world, but I'm glad he did. Elder Smith, Dr. Smith, we're glad that you're here. Las Vegas welcomes you, and we want you to open the word and preach. The word of God tonight. We'll be listening. God bless you. Let the church say amen again. Thank you, Dr. Rock, for the word of introduction. It's nice to have your former college president and general conference vice president to say a kind word for you. Thank you, Dr. Rock, for allowing us to be here at the Abundant Life Church hosting what I consider to be a very grand convocation of our coming together of lead as leaders across this segment of God's work. Pastor Palmer, we, are, we applaud you and lift you up. All of my colleagues that were introduced earlier, I lift you up as well. I thank God for your leadership and for all of my brothers and sisters here assembled for Vespers on this evening. And I want to use that as a key operative word, Vespers, which means I won't be inordinate in my length tonight. I'm going to let you go at a reasonable time. It's currently 10 minutes before 8. I won't hold you long, but I think we need to stay by and hear what God has to convey to our hearts this evening. Amen. I need you to know that I've enjoyed myself thus far. Amen. Music has been extraordinary, and the worship experience has been second to none here this evening. So I thank God for you. I ask you to direct your attention now to the gospel according to St. John. And then we will shift to the gospel according to St. Mark. But first, John the 8th chapter and the 36th verse. The Bible states clearly and succinctly there, if the Son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I want to demonstrate that and illustrate that tonight the best I know how under God's auspices in the book of Mark, the fifth chapter. I direct you there, Mark chapter 5. And we would like to consider verses 1 and forward just a bit. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The Bible states, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Verse 5, And always 
night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. I'd like to talk to you for just a few moments surrounding the thought, unshackled, unshackled. Let us pray. For the next few moments, Heavenly Father, it is our deep desire that you will take absolute control. Please speak words of peace, power, and exhortation to our hearts, we beg. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In this, the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark, along with John 8, I find, and perhaps you do as well, what must be one of the most interesting chapters in all of the Bible. Not another chapter like it as far as I'm concerned in all the Word of God. For in Mark 5, Mark articulately conveys what it's like to be in a hurricane of life, in a whirlwind, to be out of your mind, to be trapped by circumstances that you cannot manage. But he also conveys clearly as well what it's like to be released, to be unleashed from those circumstances, to be set free, to be unshackled by the dynamic personality and presence of Jesus Christ. So thus, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, on this evening's Vesper, those of us who are endeavoring to follow in the footprints of the God-man, Jesus Christ, we find ourselves living in very hostile environments. Would you agree? In a very perilous period of history, we're living in an age of crises, conflicts, and confrontations. We're living in an age where goodness has been gored by the bull of iniquity. We're living in an age where holiness is hated. Truth has been trampled underneath the insensitive feet of men and women. In an age where Christ is cheerfully crucified over and over again, his presence is not welcome, nor is it wanted. I've got to add, though, this is not peculiar, nor is it unique to the 21st century. For if I read my Bible right and understand it correctly, that's pretty much been the case throughout the stream of history. 
Christ has always been hated by some. By others, he's always been alienated and ostracized and excommunicated from society. Such is the case in this story of these demoniacs of Gadara. You know, Mark seems to focus in on one demon-possessed man, but the other synoptics, the other synoptic gospels, they speak of more than one demon-possessed man. Now, there is no conflict in the accounts as recorded of this very same incident. But Mark probably zeroing in on the magnitude and the unique nature of this man's problem, he zeroes in on one man. Picture it in your mind's eye now. Jesus has been teaching and, pe and preaching by the seaside and now being mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted, he beseeches his disciples. Let's cross over to the other side. Since it's Vespers, I've got to add figuratively for us. Let's cross over to the other side. In other words, let's cross all over to a higher level of truth. Let's cross over to holiness. Let's cross over because it's evening time. Let's cross over to the other side. There to meet him was a man whose dilemma was serious. You know, the land of Gadara, the land of the Gerasenes, was considered to be Gentile territory. Stay with me. Non-Jews, if you please. Heavily influenced by the Hellenistic culture. You see, they knew more about Mount Olympus than they knew of Mount Zion. They knew more about Zeus than they knew of Jehovah. They knew more about the philosophical patterns of Plato than they did of the moral mandates of Moses. But despite this culture, Christ went on anyhow. One writer says, because as an SOS was sent out by a crying need, his divine antenna picked up a distress signal. Somebody was in need. Somebody was calling on the name of Jesus. There to meet him on the other side was a man whose dilemma was serious. He was disowned by his people. He was living in a graveyard, a cemetery, and not the least of his problems, he was possessed with demons. Here he is. I've endeavored to look at this man. His peer group, stay with me, his peer group condemns him. He's forced to live in a graveyard and he's possessed with demons. Fact is, I understand that cemeteries, graveyards, are designed for dead folk and not the living. But his home is a tomb. His companions are the skeletal fragments of those who sleep in the dust. One writer says this man was not only emotionally emulsified and mentally mortified, but he was also spiritually strangulized. He was dead, a spiritually dead demoniac. And it highlights the fact, my brothers and my sisters, that either we're going to be directed by God or driven by the devil. Either we're going to be influenced by Jesus or infested by the devil. 
either we're going to be sanctified by a Holy Spirit or desecrated by an evil spirit. There really is no middle ground of neutrality when it comes to serving Jesus. There's no straddling the fence when it comes to serving my Lord. I wonder though, what is it that caused this man that we just read about to live in such a condition like many of us? Was it that he couldn't cope with the problems that he faced? Or maybe he just couldn't bear his burdens in the heat of the day. Or perhaps he just couldn't stand up under the pressures, the pressures of staying in school, the pressures of finding suitable employment, the pressures of being a social outcast in society, the pressures of seeing the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, or perhaps his sins that pushed him further and further to a point of no extrication. I don't know what the issues were, but the spirit of prophecy makes it very clear to me that one day this man took a step and the devil took control of his mind. Somebody has said the world could see the scars on the outside of this man, but nobody could see the wounds of the, on the inside. There he is. He lives in a cemetery. He lives in a cemetery. Spiritually, whenever a man or a woman retreats from God, intelligently so, knowingly so, retreats from God and determines despite your knowledge of God's will and God's way, doing your own thing, there's but one place for you to live. And that's in the tombs of iniquity. The tombstones of irrationality. I imagine they hadn't buried anyone in that part of the graveyard for quite a long while. Anybody who passed by automatically quickened their footsteps. Must have been some crazy, mischievous, ill-behaved young people. Can't say bad kids in this day and age anymore. Can't say bad kids. Can't call everybody baby's kids. Can't do that anymore. But there must have been some kids who were behaviorally challenged. Who would taunt that crazy man and hurl rocks at him and scream at him and say, hey, crazy man, come out of there. I could hear the sound of alarm that would be given as strong men in masses would pounce upon that man and bind him with leather straps and iron chains and throw him back into the cemetery, even though he'd break out over and over. I could hear the sound of alarm that would be given as mothers would, would gather up their children like hens gathering their food. Mark says, this man was so miserable. Early in the evening, you could hear him crying loudly. Late at night, you could hear him howling. He's restless. Sort of reminds me of what Isaiah, the writer, says, that the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Well, this is a nice, serene part of town. But in Brooklyn, in Harlem, in Chicago, in Detroit, in Los Angeles, Friday night, the clubs are packed. Running from man to man, from woman to woman, sucking on the bottle, popping pills. What a message we've got to tell. You see, folk, we've got to tell the good story that peace doesn't come in a bottle. But it comes in the body of Christ. Peace doesn't come in a pill, but it comes in a person. Peace doesn't come in sex, but it comes in a savior, and his name is Jesus. Mark says this man is so frustrated with himself.
he hurts himself. You know, he takes sharp rocks and he lacerates his flesh and he pulls his hair out by the roots and he howls and he moans and he cries. He's hurting himself. You see, folk, here's, here's a very practical lesson about, about sin. When we go against intentionally, knowingly go against the will of God, the end result is we hurt ourselves. The inevitability is we make the mistake of hurting ourselves. The invariability is we hurt ourselves. You don't believe me? Ask the man whose liver is bloated, whose heart is failing because of sucking on the bottle. He will tell you, if he could, that he's only succeeded in hurting himself. Ask the man who's overdosed with a crack pipe or a needle stuck in his arm, if he's frank with you at the end of the day, he will tell you he's only succeeded in hurting himself. Ask the woman who walks the inner city streets by night trying to make a sale. If she's frank with you at the end of the day, she will tell you, if her dignity would allow, that she only succeeded in hurting herself. Ask the man, ask the woman, who may have quietly delved into immorality together. Nobody else knows about it but them and God. If they're candid with you, if they're really honest, at the end of the day, they will tell you they've only succeeded in hurting themselves. So what is this man really asking? Know what he's asking? He's asking, does anybody care? Is anybody interested in me? You know that plaintiff wail, that cry that Jesus heard by that antenna? He's wondering, does anybody care about me? And folk, you need to understand, this is hot off the press. I want to share something with you that is very recent. Did you know that teenage suicide is at an all-time high? More young people in the year 2000, 2008, this is 2008, isn't it? They're taking their lives, more are taking their lives than ever before in the history of, of the United States of America. More young people, more young adults, more post-adolescent folk are taking their lives than ever before. And as they take their lives, they're taking their lives in protest, wondering, does anybody care? Does anybody care what I listen to? Does anybody care where I go? Does anybody care who I fraternize with? What, what, what electronic games I play? Does anybody care what kind of lifestyle I enjoy? And guess what? The church, I'm not talking about the brick and the mortar, but I'm talking about you and me. We've got to give an answer. We've got to go out where the rubber meets the road. We've got to find that junkie and offer him a new high in Jesus Christ. Got to find that drunk and offer him a drink that won't make him drunk, but he'll be drinking from the crystal fountain that shall never run dry. This man is wondering, does anybody care? I can hear as that divine antenna from Jesus' head goes up. Yes, from the pits of his diaphragm. There's somebody who cares about you. Jesus is his name. Help is on the way. And you know, as that boat meanders across the shore, and as they set foot across the lake, and as they set foot on that Gadarene shore, Ellen White paints it this way in Desire of Ages. She says, you know, darkness does have a way of making familiar places look strange. For out of the elongated shadows of night, suddenly this eerie form appears out of the tombs. And he lets loose with a shriek that seems to come from the very pits of hell itself. As the disciples look at him, he starts 
naked. He's foaming at the mouth. His eyes look like two coals of fire from the burning hell itself. He's screaming and hollering. He's buck naked. He's jumping up and down. And the disciples take one look at him. And their blood runs cold and curdles within their veins. And they leave Jesus standing there all by himself. Oh, church of the living God, how easily we forget how God has helped us in the past. Why? Mark 4, just coming over the lake the night before. You know the story. The winds and the waves became a little unruly. And the lightning had begun to write a flaming message of descent in the sky. And the thunder was muttering in protest against the eastern horizon. And everybody on board was afraid. Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know the story. Jesus stood up and told the winds to shut up and the waves to be still. That same hand that calmed the storm, the same hand that stilled the elements, was held up against these raging demoniacs. And the Bible says it this way. Spirit of Prophecy says it this way. They were raging, but they were helpless. Know what that tells me? All hell can break loose in your life. But as long as your hand is in God's hand, the demons of hell, they might be raging, but they will be helpless. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. You know, these demons had a sense of recall. They recognized that this Jesus is the same being who kicked them out of heaven in the first place. Let me ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question. It means don't answer. Out loud, that is. Have you ever been beaten up before? I have. I don't know if tape is rolling, but you promise you won't tell? I was beaten up before. I was in the seventh grade. Doc, I was in the seventh grade. This is before Oakwood. I remember I was, I was sitting next to a little Asian fella. I didn't like this fella. He had slanted eyes. He had straight hair. I was a basketball player. He was short and frail. I didn't like him because he got A's on his exams and I got D's. I didn't like him. So I took my pencil eraser and I started poking him in his side. And he looks at me and he says, please stop. I said, I don't want to stop. And I kept poking away. He says, stop, that hurts. I said, man up. And I just kept poking away. <laughs> Teacher writing on the, on the board turned around and says, Ronald, keep your hands to yourself and leave Choi alone. Well, as soon as he turned around and started writing again, I started poking him again. He says, let's be friends. Let's not fight. And then he gave the plaintiff wail. I don't want to fight. I said, I want to fight. Well, there was a flagpole in the front schoolyard. It was about 3 o'clock. The bell tolled. It was time to go home. And there was always a special feature in the courtyard. Well, I was the special feature that day, along with Choi. So we got to the courtyard. And as I walked out, as I walked out, there was Choi. And I'm pushing him. He says, stop. That hurts. I said, come on, man. Let's go for it. The crowd was there. It was like the WWF. They were waiting for the action to begin. They said, and they were rooting for me. They knew me as the basketball player. Choi was short and frail and insignificant looking. And I got to him, I said, come on, man. 
let's go at it. And I lunged at him. And the last thing I remember, <laughs> I saw something like this. And he swung around and kicked me down to the concrete. My head hit the concrete. I looked up, and the heavens opened. I saw the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and all the heavenly constellations. There was a hush over the crowd. They couldn't believe it. They looked down at me like their faces were coming at me like that. There was a hush. They couldn't believe this bully Ron Smith was being beaten up by Choi. Oh, I can't go down like this. So I got up, and I lunged at him again. And again, he said, ha, kick me back down to the earth. I saw more stars. And thus, guess what? Then I began to pray. Guess what my prayer was? Lord, please end this fight. But then, you know, my prayer veered, and I started praying a bizarre prayer. I'm so glad that God answers the very, the, the sentiment, the need that exists behind our prayers. I started praying an irrational prayer. Lord, just like you with David the shepherd boy, when he killed the lion with his bare hands. Lord, just like you with Samson, when he killed 10,000 Philistines. Be with me this last time, dear Jesus, as I take this Asian out in your name. What an irrational prayer. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't answer exactly what we pray for? But he looks at the spirit of our need. Well then, folk, I got up. I thought in the name of Jesus. And I lunged at him one last time. And this time his shirt was off and his hair was all over his head. He was like, ha, 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 ha. And he kicked me. This time I had hit the flagpole and it hit the ground. Blood's pouring out of my nose and out of my mouth. Then Choi leans down, and he says, are you okay? <laughs> and he picked me up, and he walked me to the washroom and wiped all the blood from my shirt and my collar. I learned a lesson that day, and I remember hugging him in front of everybody, saying, man, we need to hook up. I had to save some face, but the valuable lesson that day is pick on somebody your own size. Well, folk, these demons, they looked at Jesus. They said, this is the same being who kicked us out of heaven in the first place. We've been whipped before by him, and if demons recognize who Jesus is, then everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And the Bible says approximately 2,000 demons raced out of that man into some pigs, into some swine, and they ran violently down a steep place into the sea. About 2,000. They were choked in the sea. Another way of saying that is the Dow Jones Industrial Average reached an all-time low. <laughs> the Nasdaq fell. And those who fed the swine, the Bible says they came out to see, verse 15 of the same chapter, they came out to see what it was that was done. They didn't come to see a miracle of grace. They didn't come to appreciate the intervention of God setting somebody free, but they came out to see what it was that was done. They didn't come to appreciate and to celebrate the goodness of God. They came to see. I trust that we've come this weekend for the correct reason. But what did they see? They saw a man sitting and clothed 
and in his right mind. No longer is he ranting and raging. No longer is he screaming and hollering. But there he sits with the docility of a little child. There he sits with the innocence of a little baby. There he sits in all gentleness. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I hear him now. Master, you've done so much for me. I was trapped, but you unleashed me. You unshackled me. Can I get back in the boat and go with you? Jesus said, no, sir. What I want you to do, I want you to go back to your community. Go back to your family. Go back to your hood. Go back to your context. And tell men and women what great things the Lord has done for you. Can you see him? Can you see him now as he's escorted down the dusty roads of downtown Decapolis? People are asking, hey man, what happened to you? Weren't you once that crazy man living in the tombs? Weren't you howling? Weren't you breaking out of those chains? Weren't you being bound by leather straps and iron chains over and over again? Weren't you once an insane man living in the tombs? Yes, embarrassingly, almost sheepishly so. He says, sheepishly so. He says, I was. What happened? I, I, I don't know. All I know is I met a man named Jesus. I gave him my sorrows. And he gave me his joys. I gave him my nightmares. And he gave me his dreams. I gave him my life. And he made me a brand new creature. All I can say is that I'm free. The question is, would you be free from your burden of sin? and depression, and guilt, and heartache, and financial shackles and, and woes, would you be free? The good news tonight is you can. Why? There's power in the blood of Jesus. How do I know? I know because I serve a God who could not be trapped. For they placed him in a tomb and put guards on the outside and a stone at the door. But he kicked free. And because he's free, I'm free. And because he's loose, I'm loose. And because he's got power, I've got power. I'm not trapped. I'm free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Every breath I breathe 
for your land servant. Just a couple of announcements. I do believe there is choir rehearsal for both the youth as well as the adult choir. So if you are a choir member, please keep that in mind. I didn't want this service to end without recognizing a couple of other people who are in our midst. We also have with us Sally Butler, sister Sally Butler, who is the secretary to Elder Mitchell. She is also a seminar presenter. Sally, would you just raise, raise your hand? We're glad to have you here. And all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Young people, we have a very special treat for you. Pastor Stephen Brooks, Youth Director for South Atlantic Conference, would you please stand? He is your youth speaker tomorrow, and we will be hearing from him tomorrow evening. Now, let us prepare for the benediction. Please stand.